And we are in a four-week series on stewardship, and today Barry Schmidt is going to be taking us into the second one on the stewardship of time. And uh, we, we thought for this series, we would do this responsive, it's a prayer, and we want to do it together. And, and you know, when we repeat something over enough times, sometimes it embeds in our, in, in our minds, in our souls, and we remember it. And we're hoping that this might be something that'll catch with you, and you might remember it after the series is over, and it'll be a reminder. So I want to ask if you can stand with me, and we're going to pray this together. So I'm going to pray the leader part, and, uh, and then you can join in with, uh, with the congregation part. Father in heaven, you are generous. There is nothing that we have that you have not given us. We are dependent on you. All we have is yours. Our world thrives on greed and scarcity, on grasping for more and fearing that there won't be enough. Jesus, your kingdom is not this way. Instead, it is built on abundance. Help us to resist greed and scarcity by living in this abundance with open and generous hearts and hands. Spirit, you freely give of your gifts. Empower us to do the same. Help us to be trustworthy so that we can be trusted with much. Help us to be best I'd like to just ask you to remain standing as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for your word and thank you um, just for the amazing, amazing promises that we have. And uh, Father, Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians about you and he said as he was writing to the Ephesian believers, uh, he said, now to you, God, who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work in, within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Jesus, this is your church. We are your church and we are here to make you known to our friends, to our coworkers, to our marketplace, throughout this city, and to our world. And Father, this last year we've been through challenges and, and some exciting times of transition as we have been walking through together as a church family. And we've been also experiencing regathering We've, we've gone through some times of financial challenges together. But you continue to show yourself not only to be faithful, but immeasurably so. And Lord, I just thank you for the way that you have assisted us and Holy Spirit, that you have been guiding us and directing us and nudging us as we have worked together uh, through all the contributions, through the town halls and the surveys and, and the work that's been done as we are preparing ourselves for the work that you want to do and for the lead pastor that you are going to bring to us so that we can accomplish 
your will for us as a church is your church, Jesus. And so we thank you that you don't wait behind us for what we can do. Jesus, you are way out in front of us, just inviting us into what you can do and what you will do. And Lord, I want to thank you for the, the youth on the, on the youth mission team. And Lord, just for the perseverance and, and the patience that they've had to stick with this project. And now, finally, they're able to go. And Lord, I just want to pray that, uh, that we will be generous towards them in helping them to, to raise the funds and to be able to go out. And Lord, I, I just pray that it's going to be a life-changing experience for every one of them, that you'll bless them. And you'll also bless those with whom they're serving in Mexico City. And, and Lord, I just want to also just uh, thank you that uh, you, have, you have given us so much. And you have called us to be stewards of the things that you have provided for us. And so, Lord, this morning, as, as Barry shares, as he speaks to us from your word, I pray that it will actually, his thoughts are going to just be your thoughts, and they will embed themselves within our souls, within our minds. And we just want to pray and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rod. Good morning, church. I hope you came to encounter Jesus. Because that is what we're all about as a church. We exist to make Jesus known. And uh, so that's what, we, that's what we wanna do. That's what everything, our whole lives are wanting to do. So uh, as Pastor Rod has already mentioned, <clears throat> we've been working on this series on stewardship. And uh, last, last week, Wes just preached an excellent message on stewarding our story. And, he, and his points were that, that uh, just as Jesus has give, given each one of us a unique story about how he's revealed himself to us, so God expects us to share that story with others as the Lord gives us opportunity and as the Lord leads us. And so uh, and this week I want to talk to you about the stewardship of time. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, as a businessman... Uh, we'll open the text in a minute, in just a minute, but I just want to introduce the, the text. Uh, as a businessman, I've been, uh, this year is going to be, I started business in 1976, I believe it was, and so it's 44, 45 years in business this year. I hope to retire this year whenever I tell people I'm on my swan song job. Uh, working over here at the Norland Chrysler dealership, painting that. My wife looks at them and says, we'll see because she knows me well. But uh, anyways, uh, as a businessman, one of the things that I've discovered is, is a key to success in business, a key to, to turning a profit is to learn that time is money, you know? And so the better we can make use of our time in business, the better we can, um, the better we can get our team to make use of their time, to make the most of the time, the more profitable our business is going to be, the more of a success. And, and you know, isn't this the way it is with, uh, with just about every endeavor in life? Is that if we can make uh, the most of our time in that endeavor, we will likely have uh, increased our chances of being successful in, 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 in whatever we do. But uh, the older I get, and um, I, I become, I'm becoming a little wiser anyways, 
And, uh, and now I realize that time is much more than money or success or productivity or, 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 or accomplishment. But I realize now that time is life. You think about that for a minute. Isn't that the truth? That time is life. So what you do with your time is what you're doing with your life. Time is, isn't just money. Time is life. King David had spent much of the time of his life in, in conquering and acquiring. And then one day as he was composing a psalm, he said this, My days have passed by faster than a weaver's shuttle. And if David was a motorcycle enthusiast like I am, he would have said, the time of our life goes by faster than a crankshaft on a crotch rocket. <laughs> yeah, if you're a biker, you know that, don't you? Uh, Moses, when he was over 100 years old, said this when he was comp- uh, comparing the time of his life to God's eternal life, to, eter- to eternity. And he said, oh Lord, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past." And, a, and as, it's as a thousand years in your sight is, a, is like a four-hour watch in the night. He said, you, O Lord, carry men's lives away in death as quickly as a flash carries things away. The length of men's days is like a single night's sleep. In the morning, they are like grass that springs up. In the morning, in their youth, men's lives flourish like fresh morning grass in the desert, but by evening they dry up and they die. And all of the days of our lives last about as long as a momentary moan or a sigh. Now think about that for a minute. (sighs) That's about how long our life is in the light of eternity. (sighs) How do you like that, eh? How depressing is that? Moses said, our life is 70 years or 80-something if we have the strength. They pass by quickly and we are gone. And then Moses prayed this prayer, a prayer that I have learned to pray daily, and I trust that you will learn how to pray daily too. He said this, teach us to live each day realizing how brief life is, really is, so that we can be wise about the use of our time. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, what is your life? You're a vapor. You're like a vapor. Your life is like a, the length of your life is like a, a vapor that appears at dawn and then vanishes as soon as the sun rises. Theodore Roosevelt said, nine-tenths of wisdom is being wise with time. The author of the famous Lord of the Rings trilogy, J.R. Tolkien, said, all we really have to decide in life is what to do with the time that is given us. That's the only real decision you have to make in life, isn't it? Is to what to do with the time that was given us. William Penn said, the time is what, time is what we want most, but what we use worst. Time is what we want most, but what we use worst. And so today, we're asking the question, how can we be wise about the use of our time? How can we make the most of our time? How can we become good stewards of time? And God has given us the answers to those questions in the Bible. You know, God's got us covered. He's thought of all this stuff. He knows how our lives work and how busy we are, and he's already spoken into it. And so we're going to discover that today. And so in order to answer the question, how can we make the most of time, we need to turn in our Bibles 
to uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 15 to 17. And uh, I'm, I, I don't know if you notice this or not, but I'm, this Bible that I brought to church today that's larger than life, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I, there's a bit of a, I have a bit of a mixed uh, or a agenda with this Bible. Number one is because I wanted to preach out of the King James Version. And, uh, and number two is because I'm trying to reestablish the culture of bringing your Bibles to church. <laughs> yeah? There's something about that. I don't know what. It's, it says something. And so I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. You know, I, I get it. If you have the Bible on your cell phone, you know, that's good too because a, a text on your cell phone from God is better than no text from God at all, right? And... Um, so let's read, let's read uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 15. Uh, you can uh, read it together quietly as I read it out loud. It says, so then, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So when we read that text, the first uh, part of it there, uh, I'm just going to unpack it for you as best as I can in the short period of time that we have. But it, it says, so then, be careful. Be careful. So in the Greek, uh, and then it has another phrase, how you walk, and then not as unwise, but as wise. So there's three segments in that, first, in that first verse, in verse 15 there. And in the Greek, it doesn't come across in the English, because in the English, if they, if they did it exactly the way they do it in the, in the Greek, say this, it's, it's really cumbersome. But let me unpack to you what, what, what the Greek, the sense of the Greek is. And uh, it's kind of, the, what you have there is three uh, double commands, or three couplets of commands. So, so in that phrase, see to it that you walk as, uh, or sorry, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. There, there are actually three sets of double commands there. So the first part there, be careful, or, or in the King James it says, see to it. In the Greek, there's two repeated commands that go something like this. Be very careful, pay close attention. See, that's a, it's like a couplet. So where it says there, be careful, in the Greek it's like, it's God repeats himself. Be very careful. Pay close attention. And in, the, and in the phrase that you walk, how you walk, okay, or that you walk, in the Greek there are also two repeated commands that goes something like this. Watch your walk. Watch every step you take, take in your walk. See that? So be, be, see to it. So, uh, so be very careful. Pay close attention. Watch your walk. Watch every step you take in your walk. And the third double command is the last one, don't be wise, unwise, but wise. And the English come, brings that across. So don't be wise. So the, the picture that, that, that I, that, that I want to kind of give you, to give you a sense of what's going on here, is the, the, the tone is actually very, quite harsh. It's quite strong, right? So the idea here, picture in your mind's mind, there's a child who isn't paying m- much attention, and is standing precariously close to the edge of the set of stairs. And the parent notices this and, and shouts a double command, look out, be careful. And then he says, watch your steps, be mindful of each step, you see. And then he says, don't be foolish, but be wise, or you'll end up falling down the stairs. You see, it's, it's almost like the Lord is trying to get our attention, and we're just kind of cruising aimlessly through life, you know, busy beavers, right? 
doing our thing, and the Lord here wants to capture our attention with a sharp kind of, you know, uh, three couplet commands. Watch out. Be careful. Watch your step. Watch every step that you take. Don't be foolish, but be wise, okay? You see what, you see, the, you get the sense of that? And so, in other words, so listen up, my child, because what I'm about to tell you is of utmost importance to my plans and purposes for your life. Then in the very next verse, the, vo- the Lord issues this explosively powerful command. And he says, redeem the time, or here it says, making most of your time. And I don't really like that translation, but that's okay. But the, it's, it's, it's the idea is making the most. But redeeming, redeem the time, he says, because the days are evil. And that's the same fr- uh, phrase that the Greek in the Greek, and it's also the same phrase in the King James Version. One of the things I really like about the King James Version, even though you got to get over the ye's and the yows and the thou's and stuff like that, is that the King James Version is very exacting to the Greek. And so if you want a really exacting word-for-word transliteration from Greek thing, use the King James. Whereas the, the NIV and people's, they're, they're more like good, they have a nice flow to them. So they have, they're good with the narrative, but they're not all that good often with the word-for-word. Word. But that, that was free, by the way. Anyways, so what, it, what the Lord says is, redeem the time or make the most of your time for the days of your evil. So to redeem simply means to buy up the time. To make the most of time, you see. And because the days are evil, the, the word evil there, it just means that, you know, like trouble and distractions and problems and stuff. And so what the Lord is saying here is, he says, make sure that you buy up the time, make the most of your time. Why? Because the days are filled with distractions, with problems that demand and will hemorrhage your time. And with the tyranny of the urgent. The day is filled, the Lord says, with the tyranny of the urgent. How many of you know what I'm talking about here? Right? Okay, yeah. So, so the Lord, you see, he, he, he knows about all this stuff. He, he's spoken into it. He's got it figured out. And so he's saying, be, be very careful to buy up the time because the days are full of distractions, problems, and the tyranny of the urgent. Make sure that you take charge of the day, the Lord says, or the times of the day will take charge of you. Amen? Make sure that you buy up the time or the times will buy you up. You see? Literally, be careful, watch out, be precise and exacting with every step you take. Don't be foolish, but be wise. Buy up the time because the days are filled with distractions, problems, and the tyranny of the urgent. In other words, make the most of time. Be a good steward of time. That's what the Lord is saying here in essence. So how can we do that? How can we make the most of, of time? And how can we become good stewards of time? And I believe that in the following, in the rest of the text here, we're going to see uh, two powerful gospel truths that when we grasp them and believe them and understand them, it will motivate and empower us to make the most of time. And so the first truth that we're going to see from this text is, that we, is that, that we will make the most of time when we understand and believe the difference between ownership and stewardship. But when we understand and believe the difference between uh, ownership and stewardship. And the second powerful gospel truth in this passage is that that we, we will make the most of our time when we understand and do God's will every day. Okay, so those are the first, the first gospel truth. So we, we will make the most of our time when we understand and believe the difference between ownership and stewardship. So notice here, God does not say, now this is why where the text is, is not right, 
Because it says making the most of your time. Well, in the original language, it doesn't say your time. It says making the most of the time. You see that? And it does that on purpose. And the reason why the Lord says make the most of time, he doesn't say make the most of your time, because it's not your time. You don't own time. I don't own time. God owns the time of our lives, you see? And so, uh, so you know, I'm, I'm currently, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm painting a, pa- uh, painting a project at the new, uh, the, the Norland Chrysler dealership over there. And there are, there are dozens, uh, if not hundreds of workers who come in and punch the clock there every day. You sign in, you know? And, and, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the kicker. When they come and punch that clock, guess what? They're not on their own time. They're on Norland's time. See what I'm saying? And so they're not owners of the time while they're there punching the clock. They're stewards of the time. And so, and so they need, what does that look like? Well, that looks like they need to check with the boss to find out what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing it, how much time they're supposed to be spending on what, how much, you know, how to spend their time. You see what I'm saying? And so, and, and so we need to get this in our, you know, getter, that time is not ours, and that's why we are stewards of time, you see? And uh, so we are stewards, not owners. Steward, stewardship, by definition, implies that we are not the owner. And so we're doing this message, this uh, series on stewardship, and we're doing it with the presupposition that you understand the presupposition that you're not the boss of you, you see? And that, that you don't own you. That you that 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 everything in your life, including your life, belongs to the owner, Jesus Christ. You see, and so the Bible teaches us is, is if, that if that if you have believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you are no longer on your time. You're on Jesus' time. You are no longer you no no, no longer the owner of time. Rather, you have become a steward of Jesus' time. The Bible says you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Christ died for all, the Bible says, and all died. Therefore, they that live ought no longer to live for themselves, but for him who died for him. The Bible says this, that this is how we get saved, that we believe in our heart that, that, that God raised him from the dead, and we confess with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that right? Lord, now, Lord, Lord means owner. Lord means boss. Lord means king. You see? And so, we, we, we are, and so when we confess Jesus as Lord at our salvation, he became the boss of us. He became the boss of everything, every part of us. It, Lord means boss, ruler, owner. The Bible declares the immutable reality that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, Peter said. Uh, God has made Jesus both owner, ruler, and Messiah, Savior, in that order. You see? And when Jesus died and rose again on on our behalf, uh, God made him the owner of all things, especially of your life. He put an end to all personal ownership in our lives. Jesus became the sole and rightful and legal owner of everything in our lives, including our time. We are not uh, the owners of our time. Your time is no longer your time. You're on Jesus' clock. See? And that's what the Bible teaches. So the famous uh, 19th century preacher uh, of grace, I love him. 
the preachers, many preachers called him the prince of preachers. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He said, if you don't have time, it's because you're stealing it. Ooh, that's convicting, isn't it? Let's go on. The flesh hates to acknowledge God's ownership. The, you know, the fallen part of us, the fallen nature of man. It just hates to acknowledge uh, God's ownership. So we make an enormously arrogant assumption when we assume that stewardship means I have the right to decide how I use my time. B- uh, beloved, our flesh doesn't even like the word stewardship because our flesh is cunning enough to know that stewardship assumes that you don't have ownership of your life. The one thing our flesh hates more than anything else is to admit and relinquish self-ownership and self-governance. And I want to tell you the flesh is stronger than you. It's going to take the power of Jesus Christ, the power of his grace, to subdue this propensity in you to hold on to your life and call it your own. To hold on to your time, your money, your family. You see? It's going to take the power of grace to subdue that. And we need to reckon and realize that there's this part of us that hates the idea of stewardship. Come on, let's admit it. So when we realize and believe the truth that we are not owners but are stewards of time, we will be motivated and empowered to make the most of our time because we got it straight in our heads. I'm not the boss of me. Jesus is, you see. See, he's the owner of, of it all, of, my, of our lives. And see, you know, the pop religion will tell you, oh, you know, you need to take dominion. No, friends, the, co- the cross calls us to relinquish dominion. The kingdom of self is brought to naught at the cross. The kingdom of self-rule the kingdom of self-governance, the kingdom of self-reliance, the kingdom of putting self at the center of everything we do. You see, the flesh is willing. If, if it's coerced enough, you can, you, can, you can coerce religious flesh into saying, okay, I'll admit it, I'll, I'll allot a certain period of time to do Jesus' will. And I'll even, you know, make Jesus, give Jesus the priority of my time. Friends, no. That's not, the, that's not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is, I'm not here to, take, to help you. I'm here to take over your life. I own you. I own your family. I own your retirement. I own your vocation. I own your schedule 24-7. See, we can't, you know, some people uh, talk about it, you know, are encouraged, oh, we should make Jesus the Lord of your, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You can't make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you can make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're Lord, not him. We can only confess that Jesus is Lord. We can only acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. We can only submit that Jesus is Lord. And so we need to understand and really get this in our gutter. I know this is, this is kind of a harsh word this morning, but the cross is a harsh word. And Jesus is here to take over. He's done with your nego- our negotiating on how much time we'll give him, how much money we'll give him of our money. How much time? No, he's here to take over everything, friends. Okay. I love this sister. I love an Amen. 
It's like, it's like saying to a dog, shake him. <laughs> so, okay, we, you know, you, I've said enough. You get it. Okay. So number two, we will, be, we will be motivated and empowered to make the most of time when we know and, and do God's will. So, so put the text up there again, brother. Sister, sorry. <clears throat> yeah, there it is. Okay. Making the most of your time because it is. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So therefore, when you see a therefore, they gotta, you know, it's there for a reason, right? So you got to know what it's there for. And it's therefore because making the most of your time, okay, be, being a good steward of your time, how do we do that? Well, we do that by understanding what the will of the Lord is. You see, it only makes sense, doesn't it? So if, if by default, when we are no God's will and we do God's will, we're redeeming the time. The best use of our time is doing God's will, discovering God's will. And so that, that's why the Lord says, therefore, don't be foolish. Is that what it says? Yeah, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we, lo- we redeem the time, we, we make the most of time by understanding what God's will is. So, so you see, basically, um, the Holy Spirit is, is saying this to us all. Don't be unwise when it comes to knowing God's will but understand what his will is. So God fully expects us to understand and know what the will of God is on a daily basis, you see? And so it's not like, how do we know it's on a daily basis? Well, because it says the days are evil. See, if it would have said because the months are evil, then we'd only have to know the will of God on a monthly basis, right? Or if it said, if the, if it said because the seasons are evil, well, then we'd only have to know the, God, the will of God once a season, see? But it doesn't. It says, because the days are evil. So the Lord fully expects us to make the most of our time by understanding what his will is for our lives on a daily basis. You see, when my men are checking in with their time, they don't get to just like, you know, go do their thing for a week and then report. I mean, they do after a while. When, they, when I, I can entrust them with that when they've been with me and they, they know my heart and they've got my heart. They don't, you know, but to start with, they need to check in hourly. What do I want? What's my will? Because they're on my clock, you see? And so the Lord expects the same to us. So, <clears throat> now, here's, the, here's an interesting thing. So where it says there, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish, but understand. what It's a different word than uh, don't be unwise. It's a different word. And, the, and it's got the, the word in the Greek, it's like the word senseless. So what it's really saying literally is, don't, don't, go, don't go through your day without any sense of knowing God's will. Don't go, don't, don't be senseless about God's will. Don't have uh, the absence of the sense of God's will. And so this gives us a clue as to how we're to, to understand God's will, okay, on a daily basis. So if it's on a daily basis, I mean, friends, you just can't take the manual and, and go by the manual because you, you need to hear from Jesus every day. You need to... You need to know Jesus' will by the day, you see. And so, so you have to get a sense of it. You get a sense of it. So um, I'll unpack that in a little, in a little bit. But, uh, but, but, but the idea here is that, that we, can sense, we can sense God's will. And I just want to share with you about six questions that you can ask yourself. I call it the six questions for discerning the voice of Jesus 101. 
And so, you know, you get a sense of what you're supposed to do. That, that, that's the point of it. That's a, that's a sense of what the, this passage is teaching. We get a sense of God's will. You know, when someone comes to you and says, God told me, uh, especially when they say, God told me to tell you, uh, I don't think so. You know what? The one time that we can legitimately say God said is when we're reading from the lines of this book. But it's better to say, you know, I got a sense of, that, that, isn't that better? Don't you think that's better? Because you can't prove subjectively that God told you unless God told you. Amen. You can't, you can't, you know, you, you, can, you can say, but I got a sense of this, right? And so that's the way, that's the way we want to deal. So, so if, we, if you have a sense of God's will, how do you know it's God's will? Like, how do you know that's the right sense? See, how, how, do, you, how do you know it's not nonsense? You see? And so I want to give you six questions that you can ask yourself very quickly, just in closing that, 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 that you can ask yourself. First of all, we want to ask yourself, is it biblical? So this thing that I'm sensing to do, is it biblical? See, God's will is always absolutely congruent with what the Bible teaches. So if, you, if what you're sensing is not taught or exemplified in the Bible, it's probably not, not God's will. You're just making it up. Or it's the devil's will right? Or it's a counterfeit spirit, okay? So is it biblical? Number two, you want to ask the question when you're, when you, when you're trying to discern to sense God's will, is it the right thing? And I, I love what John Meyer said to me after the service sometimes. He said, he said, Barry, you know, redeeming the time, making the most, it's doing the right thing. I really like that. But is, is it the right thing? If you, you can discern, because here's, here's how you know if it's God's will. Because God is righteous, and he who does what is right is from God. Thirdly, is it loving? So God is love. His will is always love. If it's not loving, it's not God's will. And if it doesn't matter how right it seems or how true it seems, if, 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 if it's not loving, it's not God's will. See? So what loving thing, what right thing, what biblical thing is Jesus putting on your heart? to do. Number three, number, 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 uh, number four. And this one, I really, I really want to take some time to emphasize because I, I believe that we, we, we really need to get this down. And I, I think it's not emphasized enough and it needs to be. And here's the, here's the question. When you sense, you're wondering, is this the God's, is this God's will? What I sense you, you ask the question, do I want to do it? Do I want to do it? And the reason why we ask that question is because the Bible says that God is at work within us to will and to do according to his good pleasure and will. You see, if we sense something might be God's will, but you don't yet want to do it, then wait and pray until God works in you to will and to do it. Jesus never did anything until he wanted to do it. He said, here am I. I have desire to do your will. You see? And so until we desire to do God's will, it's, it's probably not God's will for us to do it quite yet. It might be his will. Sometimes the Lord will come to me, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. But I know you don't want to do it yet, so it's not time to do it. But I'm going to work in you by, by your grace, and by the time I'm done with it, you're going to want to do this. And when you want to do it, then you'll know, do it. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Isn't that good? Oh, I like that. So, so buying up the times means not only that, that we know God's will, but we will wait for God's timing to do it. And when God's timing is right, when he places within us not only the knowledge of his will, but the willingness to do it. So if you want to do it, God's in it. If you don't want yet want to do it, then God's not in it yet. 
At the very least, wait and pray some more. So, so many people think that God is a demanding, cosmic killjoy. They assume God is a slave-driving, perfectionistic, never satisfied, that he's constantly fault-finding, pointing out our sins and failures. They see God as always demanding and constantly threatening us into doing things that your heart is not yet willing to do yet. Friends, that's not grace. That's not the new covenant. That's law. Law is do it, do it or else. You see? But under grace, it's I will write my laws on their hearts and on their minds. And no one's going to have to tell you or coerce you to do my will. For you will all know me. You will all want it. You'll want to do it. You see? That's the beauty of the, that's the, beauty of the gospel, friends. Isn't that good? Yes. Oh, I love that. That's the freedom of the gospel. Is that God pays our way with giving us the desire to do his will. Hallelujah. I just love that. So the result of this law-based, you know, is this law-based view that God is, you know, they, they assume that uh, do, doing God's, knowing doing God's will is like this. Well, that if you don't want to do it, and if you fear not doing it, that's God's will. Oh, friends, nothing could be further from the gospel truth. See? And uh, so the Bible, the Bible says that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. And it will seem good to us. David said, oh, your commands are like honey. You know, my, uh, my, our dear brother, Wes Schultz, of, those of you who know him well, know that his favorite dessert is cherry cheesecakes. Now, before the COVID thing, we had him over to celebrate his birthday, being a single man. My wife wanted to cook him a nice meal. She put, put in front of him a big slab of cherry cheesecake, and his eyes got grew like saucers. And as he began to smack his way through the cherry cheesecake, he looked up at me and said, oh, that's so good. God's will is so good. And that's what he'll, he'll, he'll work by his grace. So you're, you're going to say that. If you don't say that yet, it's not ready to do. You're not ready to do it. God's not finished with you. you see, you can seek the Lord until you say, oh, that's so good. Okay? Now, let me, let me, let me just say, say this. When I, when I said that God works in you to will, I didn't say God works in you to feel good. Because Jesus said, may this cup not, may this, if it be possible, you know, how good did the cross feel? See, but then he said, nevertheless, not my will. See, God doesn't work in you to feel like doing it. He works in you to want to do it. He works in you to desire it. And when you desire it, now it's time to do it. You don't wait until you feel like doing it. If you wait until you feel like doing it, you're never going to do the will of God. Because the will of God isn't always easy. It's not always, it's not always a feel-good thing, friends. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So, so anyways, so God's will is good, but God's will is not only good, it's, it's God's will is pleasing. My, you know, my, my love languages are, my first love language is, is physical touch, and my second love language is, uh, is uh, words of encouragement. And then there's, uh, then there's acts of service, and probably last, but I still like to be loved this way, but it's quality time, but that's my last choice. Anyways, so when my daughters want to please me, they know that they just have to snuggle up to dad. They, they just have to speak a word of encouragement to me or to each other, and they'll please me. Do you know, do you know what God's love language is? God's love language is knowing his will and wanting to do it. 
That's what's pleasing. God's will is pleasing. God's will is not only good, and it's not only pleasing, it's perfect, the Bible says. It's perfect. You know, so many years ago when I stood at the altar at Rock Church in Halifax, uh, waiting to marry my beloved, and, and on my wedding day, and as I stood there and I watched her, th- this beautiful, radiant, stunning, stunning beauty, drop dead gorgeous, walk down the aisle. I'll never forget, I, I kind of leaned into Jesus' ear, and I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. She's perfect. God's will is perfect. And that's what he wants to work in you to will and to do. To see that his, and until his will, you know, he says, then you'll know that his, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see that? So, so th- this, is a, this is a critical factor in discerning the will of God. Do you want to do it? Okay? Number five, and very quickly, the fifth question we want to ask is, does it make me humble, more dependent upon Jesus, or do, and does it glorify God? Oh, it's God's will. If it makes you humble and dependent on Jesus and, and, and glorifies, if it, may, if it makes you look good, it's probably not Jesus' will. It's probably your will. Probably the devil's will, you know? And, 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 and if it makes you dependent and pro... You see, Jesus, most of the time, his will isn't what you can do. His will is what he can do. You see? And so the Lord works in us to do his will, not our will. His will... His time, His way, His power. So the Lord wants to give us His grace, His strength, His willpower to carry out His will. You see, and so and so, you know, if it if it if it causes us to depend on Jesus, it's probably you know I I can't do this without Jesus. Jesus said, "You can do nothing without me." We interpret that as I can do quite a few things without you, Lord. If you can do it without Jesus, it's probably not His will. See what I'm saying? Okay, so, so it, it glorifies God. And the, uh, and the sixth and last question we want to ask ourselves in discerning the will of God on a daily basis is, has the Lord told me to do this before? Has the Lord told me to do this before? So number one, because the Lord always is after us. He, he won't let you rest. He'll keep after you about something. And so he'll repeat it. Not only that, what the, what, why you want to discern what he's told you before? Because we don't have to hear from God every day. Listen, <clears throat> contrary to what a lot of flaky Christians will lead you to, to believe, God is not a chatterbox. He's not babbling every day to you. You know, so, so, so what, what am I saying here? So, so if what, what, what he's told you, to, if the Lord doesn't, you can do God's will daily, you can know that you're doing God's will. That doesn't mean you have to hear him speak daily. If he wants to speak to you daily, let him speak to you. Whenever I say this, the Lord always, you know, does something completely himself and does it the opposite of what I say. So anyways, I'm just throwing this out. This is free. So do what you have been doing. Until Jesus tells you something different. Listen, it's not, it's, not, it's not about our ability to hear the voice of Jesus. We're trying to teach as, as, as leadership in the church how to hear God. But let me, let me encourage you. It's not about your ability to hear. It's about God's ability to speak so that you can hear. Isn't that good? 
See, God got a hold of you and you heard his voice when you were dry bones in the desert, dead in your trespasses and sins. When he was your enemy, you heard his voice and you came to life. Hallelujah. How much more can God speak to you now that you're his friend and now that you're alive in Christ and now that you have the voice, the, the ears and the, to hear? You see what I'm saying? Okay. So don't worry. In other words, chill out a little bit. Like my friends, you know, some of my non-Christian friends, I hear this often. They say to me, you know, Barry, I'd like to be a Christian. But most of the Christians I know, they're just so uptight and stressed out all the time. You know, they're always worried that they're dis, you know, they're always freaking out that they're missing the will of God and that they're, you know, they're, they're frenzied about hearing God's voice and, and they're just rushing here and there and they're practically burnt out. You know, Jesus is still coming to us this morning and he's coming to his people and he says, and he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me. And take my yoke upon you, for I am humble and lowly, and you will, my yoke is comfortable, and you will find rest for your souls. God's will doesn't make you burnt out, friends. If you're burnt out, you're stealing time from Jesus. You're doing stuff that neither us nor our forefathers were able to bear. Hello? And so there's two things here, the ways that we, want to, that we want to redeem the time, that we can make the most of the time. Number one, when we understand and believe and submit to the objective reality that we are no longer owners but stewards. Amen. Number two, we will make the most of our time for, God, for the glory of God, when we understand and know what the will of God is for our lives on a daily basis. Amen? God bless you. Blessed are you if you listen to the word of the Lord and you do it and you practice it. Amen? Pastor. Thank, thank you, Barry. Thank you so much. And... Uh, yeah, I was I was seriously taking notes during the first service, and uh, and uh, as as Barry was speaking, I I had actually heard a, a speaker a number of years ago, and he had talked about the three different kinds of time, but but Barry, you've uh, you've kind of unpacked a fourth kind of time, which I am going to add to my list. You know, one of the ways that we measure or the time is is described is is Chronos. That's the clock on the wall ticking. And the, the days tick by, the minutes tick by, and, and Kairos time, it's kind of like that's the right time. It's quality time. It's kind of God's timing. And then there's another time that many are not familiar with. It's called liminal time. And, and that's kind of like the waiting room. When you get to the doctor's office and you have your appointment is at 2.30 and you get to finally get in at 3.15, <laughs> that part in between, that's liminal. <laughs> uh, we don't like that one very much. But you talked about redeemed time that we redeem time and, and actually we redeem it because we've been redeemed. And so we get credit. So this is credit time. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to keep that one. That, that one just kind of hit home to me. I, I don't know how this word hit home with you, but uh, Barry's just shared some really great challenges with us. And, and so 
as we're getting ready to leave this morning, I, I just want to encourage you. We have a prayer team. If, if there's something that uh, has come up during the morning or maybe you came here, you know, just really you want to unpack some stuff with the Lord. Our prayer team is here every morning, and you can come out forward for prayer. They can pray with you if you want to. If you want to stay in the in the benches and pray with a couple of friends, we invite you to do that. We have no time limits for when you got to get out of here, and uh, we just want to invite you. Don't don't go home if you've got some unfinished business. Uh, stay and, and take it, bring it to the Lord, because He wants you to let go of that. And I just remind you, today is our last day for soul care. So if you want to sign up, do it today. And uh, it's going to be an incredible time. Those of you that are in, you know, maybe you're 16 to, to, to 30 years old. I, I never started unpacking my life and some of my stuff until I was 45 years old. And you know what? I regret that I did not give some of that time to the Lord and let him free me from some of the stuff that held me back for a lot of extra decades. And so I want to put that challenge out for you. If you're, you know, if you're a young adult right now and you've got some stuff and you're just feeling like something's holding me back, sign up for soul care because there's always more of Jesus. So I want to just give you these words and not my typical way of closing a service, but this is what the Lord gave me this morning as I was thinking about the service. He said, He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So if you want to let's think about some practical ways of using time today, try those. Have a great week. <laughs>